Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, Professor of History at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of The War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. In Hamlet, the dithering Prince of Denmark finds a certain calmness once he settles on his plans for revenge against his treacherous uncle, King Claudius. There is a special providence in the fall of a sparrow. If it be now, tis not to come. If it be not to come, it will be now. If it be not now, yet it will come. The readiness is all. I don't know if there are many strategic leaders who will embrace Hamlet's style, but the term readiness has taken on an almost magical significance in military doctrine and research. But what does it mean to be ready in a rapidly evolving strategic environment? This is not merely an academic question. It has profound practical implications for the organization and training of the defense enterprise. Our guest today, Dr. Thomas P. Galvin, has recently written a book chapter with War College colleagues Conrad Crane and Michael Lynch entitled Enterprise Readiness, Determining Parameters of Readiness, and joins us today to discuss that work and the larger implications of his research. Dr. Thomas P. Galvin is Associate Professor of Resource Management at the Department of Command, Leadership, and Management at the United States Army War College. He served 29 years on active duty, including several assignments in commander's action groups in service component, joint, and combined commands, and is the author of a wide range of articles on readiness, managing organizational change, and leadership development. He is also one of our editorial colleagues here at the War Room. So welcome to A Better Peace, Dr. Tom Galvin. Thank you very much, and it's uh, great to be here. Thanks, Tom. And so what led to uh, this particular uh, research project with uh, with Con Crane and Michael Lynch? Well, I want to go back to uh, the original question that I had been asking myself ever since I, uh, I came to the War College as a faculty member, which is, what does it mean for the force to be ready uh, at the level that uh, we could replicate you know, major combat operations, such as a World War II mm-hmm. or a Korea or something like that. Because in the time, you know, uh, about five, seven years ago, uh, Con Crane and his team at the uh, Army Heritage and Education Center had written a really nice case study, taking a look at national preparedness for Korea. And we were using that and uh, still use it in the defense management curriculum. Now, there's a there's a lot of questions that come from that, because, of course, as we transition from the discussions of, um, you know, the current operations and moving on to great power competition, the questions in our mind is, is uh, how do we understand and know that we are prepared to enter those types, not just in terms of the military alone, but the national capability? Uh, what does it take to actually, you know, ramp up and mobilize and sustain the long fight? Uh, because it's uh, going to be very different from the operations that we've been in. 
Now this, uh, so this this spurred a whole project, and the book that you're referred to is actually a treatment um, of that whole big question, because traditionally when we think about readiness, what are we narrowing down to? How do we measure available personnel, available equipment, and all that sort of thing? Now, in the process of uh, trying to come up with, you know, am- answers or frameworks for developing those answers. Uh, Con Crane had uh, actually come up with uh, a question of his own. What does it mean for the military to be intellectually ready? Okay, now that's a that's kind of profound. It's, we hadn't seen that kind of a question being addressed in any of the readiness. It's always about stuff or people, but not about intellect. And so what he was uh, what he was driving at there is that uh, you know it's not. It's not enough for us to have all of the rights, uh, all of the stuff and all of the people together and ready to go. But we have to have the strategic agility. That was the word he used. The strategic agility to be able to adapt and form the forces for the actual fight that is needed. And so uh, now it turned out that as we were discussing it, uh, he hadn't gone through and thought through everything, you know, what does that actually mean? So uh, that that's where the conversation with Mike Lynch took place. Uh, we sat in, we had a good afternoon session discussing what intellectual readiness might actually mean. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, in the chapter, I renamed it or retitled it Enterprise Readiness because everything that we ended up discussing in that session really came down to what does the enterprise, and when I say enterprise, I mean the, you know, what we might refer to as the fourth estate, basically everything outside of the services. What does the, uh, well, I should say everything outside of the services and the operational, you know, the, the organizations within the services that do the mission. So we're talking about service staffs. We're talking about the combatant command staffs. Army staff, Joint Staff, the uh, the Secretary of Defense, and all of the defense uh, agencies and activities. What is it that they uh, do to ensure that the not only is the forces that we have ready, but that they're the right forces in the first place, and that they bring in this adaptability, this this capability to work together as a force tailored to complete the mission. Mm-hmm. And how do we how do we as a defense enterprise also get the nation ready? How do we plug into the national capability in the event that we have to go back to the big wars when we had to nationalize industry, when we had to nationalize other assets, when we had to draw from the populace far more than what the all volunteer force currently um, currently provides? All of those questions. I mean, this, this is a, you mentioned this, you know, whether we're, we're going back to an idea of being prepared for a big conflict or we, we always should have been prepared for a big conflict, I suppose. Um, During the, uh, during the period of Cold War confrontation in Europe, there was a lot of talk that any war that would take place would be, would happen so quickly once it started that it would be come as you are. Um, and the question of what does it mean to be prepared for a conflict where you have to make sure that you already have your stuff because you might not be able to get all of your stuff where it, where the fight needs to be once the fight starts. Um, when you talk about uh, this idea of agility, 
and readiness. Obviously, as we say, it's beyond the material. It's it's also to be to be ready uh, uh, to respond to whatever to, to the the crisis when it emerges. Where does the role of uh, you know, war plans come into this? Right. So, you know, how detailed should a plan be to be ready? Uh, for a conflict, right? Should you actually be able to say, well, this is, this is the, uh, attack scenario 75 dash three. So let's plug in the adequate response or how do you, how do you envision that kind of preparation? Well, I'm not as focused on the war plan fair than the design of the force. Okay. 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 Yeah. So, uh, and and uh, this this is a, a good way to start getting into some of the things that we dis- we discuss with Khan and Mike uh, about uh, what this construct means. And one of them is organizational design. Mm-hmm. It's actually something that we don't touch very much in the um, in in the War College curriculum. It is something that uh, I have felt for a while that we uh, we should concentrate more on because, in a lot of ways, when we think about readiness. Uh, the, in the traditional sense, the operational readiness and efforts to fix problems with operational readiness, we're we're thinking about how we turn the crank of the machine, mm-hmm. you know, to generate more repair parts and all that sort of thing. But when we're talking about the, what the enterprise contributes, it it all begins with how do you decide in advance of the war what the force should look like? Mm-hmm. How big does it need to be? What kind of capabilities does it have? And how you balance the capabilities. And uh, organizational design is a big part of that. It's something mm-hmm. that in practice we do pretty well to an extent. Uh, we we, it, we do have uh, determined that we have uh, a series of professional tasks, military tasks that we have to be able to perform. And we have to have forces aligned against them. And we also have to make sure that we divide the responsibilities, like uh, roles and missions, now, that's something that uh, we, we think about, but then when it comes to new things, like, uh, let's say, cyber, let's say, space, um, we've, uh, we've obviously made a decision that cyber is going to be a, a, uh, cyber is going to be a command and that there's going to be cyber capability distributed across the force. There's also going to be a separate space force. Well, how did we come to those decisions? How should we come to those decisions in the future? Because obviously those are controversial. So then once you figure it out, um, based on what concepts you have, concepts is another thing I'll get to in a moment. And once you've figured out uh, what capabilities are required to fulfill those, co- uh, those, uh, those concepts, obviously then you you have uh, the the means available to start doing the uh, to doing the war plans i mean somebody in the cold war had to come to the conclusion in some way that it was necessary to have five divisions capable of being shipped over mm-hmm. in 30 days and you you'd hope or you would think that the sequencing of you know how much could the forces in theater hold, you know, basically sustain combat and, and hold out until the reinforcing uh, forces arrive. That's a, that's a lot of intellectual work that when that goes into that. And it is not a, it's not a stable solution that stayed on a shelf for very long. Every single time that you had um, new capabilities, new threats, the situation changed, somebody had to go in 
and redesign that whole scheme in order to make sure that we had the right force being at the right place at the right time. That whole idea. So, this is an excellent, uh, an excellent point because I was thinking that there was a time in the, uh, I guess this would have been in the '90s that the the stated principle was that the United States needed to be uh, ready to sustain two major conflicts at the same time. Mm-hmm. And yes. and so that's a form of of readiness. But how much does um, having to uh, what does the role of, of the expectation of who your adversary is going to be play in this? Because we think about the kind of conflicts the United States has fought and the ones that we are seem to be shifting towards being prepared to fight that we haven't fought in a long time. Um, uh, the assumptions one makes about who your adversary is likely to be and where that fight is likely to be, how much does that shape your readiness or but or how much is readiness just something that you have to develop inside yourself and it doesn't matter who you're fighting or where you're fighting (laughs) (laughs) no that's a that's a that's a good question because you know there's the thing about um i i think the thing about enterprise readiness you know again and getting back to the aim of strategic agility Mm -hmm. you know you have uh you have the challenge of going back and forth or changing over time the pendulum swing between having very, very clear and present dangers, threats that you know are in direct uh, contravention of, you know, they're basically existential against you. Right. But then you have, you know, the murky times like the 90s in which the threats are not so, not so clear. Now, the thing is, is that the principles of organizational design are still relatively stable mm-hmm. in that if we developed the intellectual energy or the capacity to design organizations in such a way that they can respond to times of adversarial certainty, I guess, where your comparative advantage is pretty easy to figure out versus other times when it's all, uh, it's all a bit nebulous and uh, the, the, you're, you're basically trying to, um, I don't want to say guess, but uh, you're, you're, uh, you're studying the world, trying to project or forecast where mm-hmm. the greatest threats would become. Um, how do you design an organization or basically a whole enterprise that is geared for that uh, to go back and forth across that pendulum swing? And there are things that we can teach, things that we can study and, and review that uh, that allow us to do that. And that's mm-hmm. that's again organizational design. And also uh, concepts and doctrine. Uh, I mean, a big thing about concepts and doctrine is ultimately systems thinking and understanding. Because what you're really talking about there is you're talking about the you know the world's grand complex adaptive system that we're trying to understand. And you know, obviously, one of the things we teach a lot at the War College is how to manage complexity. Mm-hmm. And by managing it, that is um, being able to determine or forecast. Where what are the things that you most care about? What is the most likely, perhaps the most dangerous? Um, you know, we teach forecasting. We teach all sorts of tools to help students, you know, as they graduate, be able to help manage the complexity so that when it comes time to saying, how do we rea- respond to it? Um, determining the ways and the means uh, through the development of concepts, the development of doctrine that allows us a start point for responding. Then again, 
the you build in the agility into the organizations that you uh, that you design, and that agility provides you the uh, the capacity to change course mm-hmm. based on when a threat actually appears. Right. That's that's the the basis of it. Well, and something you brought up in your introductory remarks um, has stuck with me is there's there's readiness within the enterprise, so making sure that the the people who are involved in doing the planning are ready. Um, but you also talked about the idea about preparing the public or readying the public, and I think about this as a it's a challenge for the enterprise when they're when you're justifying budgets or you're justifying uh, decisions you have to make. But it's also right. How does one how does one communicate to the larger public? Um, the need to be prepared for things without being without being accused of essentially creating threats or overestimating threats in order to get the public's attention. I think where we're at in the present project mm-hmm. is just to at least come to some sort of a con- uh, consensus on what the construct is, mm-hmm. and then uh, and and I think the communication is going to come will come with time. Because I think that um, as I did uh, the research, and I'm, and I guess we're sort of delving into a different, uh, another chapter in this uh, project, the mobilization readiness, which oh. is where I really talk about, you know, how does how does the nation avoid the next task force Smith? Right. You know, and that was uh, that was the big um, impetus behind taking a look at that. You know, back in the 1990s, as we shifted from the Cold War environment to the post Cold War environment. Um, a lot of the material about readiness that was written at the time was asking a lot of the same questions. You know, how do we uh, posture the nation to resume the next potential big war if it were ever to happen? And uh, and so the construct that uh, that I'm looking at it's uh, it's it's material and the recruitment pool mm-hmm. is uh, sort of like what would be the potential for uh, for the nation to be able to provide a larger pool of recruits than the all-volunteer force currently provides. And there's a lot to, to think about it um, because it, that's been uh, a subject of many War College students' uh, strategy research projects in recent years is the declining recruiting pool. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, so how do we think about when do we institute a draft or institute conscription or go, you know, change the way that we do accessions and all that sort of thing in, in the case that we would have to do so. Mm-hmm. So we're trying, I'm trying to focus this more internally. How do we shape that internal conversation? Because obviously it's a sort of thing that uh, is, is a very, very politically sensitive and we've got to we got to concentrate more on how do we advise political leaders right. to engage on the topic, not offer solutions. Right. Similarly, with nationalizing uh, um, industry, uh, so uh, you know, part of this is what is the how do we measure readiness of industry in the present construct when it isn't nationalized? It's obviously private. It's you know we have relationships with a segment of industry. And even there, we only have so much visibility on their um, on their capability mm-hmm. or, or their capacity. Um, when you know nationalizing is a whole different thing, right? So how do we how do we think about that? Is part of what we're trying to propose in the project. Well, and it's funny you mentioned that with industry because I was thinking about uh, 
you know, way back in, in a previous life when I was working with uh, OSD Historical on the uh, the 1980s, that there was in, there were interesting discussions when the public was talking about breaking up AT and T. Uh, you know, kids, ask your yeah. parents um, that the um, Secretary of Defense Weinberger um, behind the scenes was very concerned that you know while he understood the the public arguments and the and he as a as someone who was a believer in free markets right he understood the advantages of a more competitive telephone system he was legitimately concerned what happens in the event of a crisis when we no longer have a single telephone company that we can rely on. Um, and you know, that, that, that concern may perhaps for a while seemed kind of old fashioned, but I know that this is, this is a, a problem, you know, the tension between a free market that encourages, let's say creative destruction and transformation and a defense enterprise that would prefer there to be a degree of predictability, um, in what will be available and when, um, and as you say, right, this is a problem of sort of constant communication, with the you know, political leaders and the uh, and the enterprise, um, but I, I I'm I'm sort of I'm struggling with this idea of you know how does one in a free society in a society with you know largely free markets how does one engage in long term planning when it seems that a lot of our economic activity is built around short term advantage. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also, how do we engage the uh, the public on uh, some of the measures that we did undertake in World War II that mm-hmm. directly affected them, such as austerity measures? Now, you want to talk about something that nobody would ever want to talk about, but it's uh, it is a reality that uh, in the past there have been system there were systems built for war rationing. There were mm-hmm. systems built for um, ensuring that the uh, that important resources were prioritized to the fight. And in the event of a big war, that would be a potential. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. how do we even understand what we did in the past Mm -hmm. to to, uh, do austerity measures? Civil defense, Mm -hmm. uh, that's another one. Um, You know, we can we can certainly anticipate that there will be domestic um, domestic challenges of all sorts, potentially in a future long fight. And, uh, and and so, what uh, what are the the structures or what are the me- measures that we would need to take to help protect the public while we're still engaged in a long, large scale fight overseas? Right. Right. And then also, there's uh, capability regeneration. You know, how do we continue to regenerate forces as we, you know, as, as uh, personnel and material are, are lost, we would, uh, you know, we can't count on being able to go in with what we have. We have to be able to regenerate uh, those, uh, those capabilities over time. And then finally, what you also touched on was strategic communication. I mean, you know, it, as we have found the hard way, I think, uh, just in the current operations, is how difficult it is to maintain a consistent, unified message to the public. And that's going to become really, really important um, when we talk about uh, a long, a large scale, long, uh, long term fight. Um, if the public is going to, um, we don't, we don't necessarily know how the public is going to react to that next fight. Right. You know, well, and, and the tension between wanting to, uh, needing to be honest with the public um, recognizing the, that the public wants to know what's really going on, while also 
um, having a strategic interest in encouraging the public to remain enthusiastic for the fight, right? That that is, that's a, that is a, uh, uh, historically, that is a problem, and it's and and that you know, free societies celebrate. We celebrate our freedom for good reason, and we celebrate that we're we're able to talk about the bad stuff and the good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but how does one how does one manage strategic communications? How do you prepare for that? Right? Is this a matter of training training better uh, better public affairs officers? Is it a matter of of uh, of encouraging greater communications between civ- um, civil military cooperation so that there is understanding back and forth of what's going on? You know, how do you how do you do that part of uh, preparedness for conflict? You know, you prepare for strategic communication. Right. And what is the military's role in it? Because, uh, yeah. you know, we, very recently, uh, you know, joint doctrine took strategic communication out because that's mm-hmm. a national function. Yeah. And so yeah. then what the uh, what very clearly then happens is that the military's role in it is to uh, to the nest within the national message. Um, but obviously, uh, in the modern information environment, the way that the public would receive information is so vastly different from when um, from the war films of the yeah. 1940s. Right. right. We, <laughs> would, say we, the least. we would we wouldn't you wouldn't get Wes Anderson to make a series of why we fight films for example, right as you might right. with Frank Capra. So there's you know in thinking through that then you know we we can't just say that we're going to take our existing ways of communicating our existing ways of uh, protecting uh, you know providing uh, defense of the civil sector, you know, all of the, those things in a large scale fight would have to be um, qualitatively different, not mm-hmm. just scaled up. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, part of this, like I said, is uh, it's it's not necessarily to provide answers. We're trying to raise the questions sure. and trying to be a little bit more precise about the questions we raise, because ultimately uh, we have to we have to uh, sort of shed the mythology of World War II, mm-hmm. and think about how we would do that again in the coming time if we're going to be ready for the next big fight. Right. And so then let me uh, let me uh, as we get close to the end here to wrap up with a couple of uh, of practical questions. One is this particular chapter um, that with that uh, we we uh, were talking about for today. Um, is is the is the overall uh, book project? Is that also you and Khan and Mike, or is the is it part of a larger collection? Now the book is uh, it, that chapter is a collaborative one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest is uh, basically uh, mine, okay. and uh, and I am. Uh, what's happening right now is that we're test driving this uh, this material with the resident class. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, initially, with the Carlisle Scholars, mm-hmm. uh, at the time of this recording. Uh, the Carlisle Scholars had just received it, uh-huh. and uh, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to uh, uh, get some feedback and get it shaped. And then it'll be when the defense management course is taught later in the in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, portions of it will be made available to them, mm-hmm. and the goal is to be able to actually publish it as a finished you know finished uh, project uh, sometime in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, anybody who is interested in portions of it, it's, um, it's, uh, I'll gladly make it freely available to those who ask, uh, for comment or, uh, for, for interest. Great. Uh, because it's more important to me that we get, we, we get this, uh, we make this useful mm-hmm. for future development. Um, 
Sure. And and so and the idea would be that after you've piloted it with the scholars that we could find a way to make sure that it's that it's uh, becomes part of the uh war college curriculum so for future strategic leaders. Uh and and how do you see this how do you see this reaching out beyond the war college community? Well, this is one this will be another in a whole series of leadership and management uh monographs that uh we've been releasing through the department that's currently available on the war college publication site under a segment called the Practitioner's Corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, we already have about seven or eight uh, covering a range, of ta- uh, a range of topics from responsible command, leading change, um, organizational communication, strategic uh, communication campaigning. Uh, and it's all, it's, it's all public domain. It's all free. This readiness one will be added to that collection. Uh, and once, uh, once, once it's gone through the mill with the students... <laughs> That's good. Yeah, you want to see what 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 readers think of it, and then you can make it make it even better for future readers. So that's fair, and we will um, we'll be happy to include uh, a link, even though it is available on the as you say on the War College website. But we'll include a link on uh, for the show notes for this uh, for this podcast. If uh, if uh, for those of you who are listening who are interested in this, but uh, Tom Galvin, thanks so much for coming to talk about your work. I hope that we'll uh, this will spur spur further interest and we'll get some feedback back and forth. Uh, we are certainly ready to uh, to talk about these uh, about these things. We look forward to hearing what happens with this project, and uh, we look forward to uh, uh, helping the helping the nation to be ready for whatever is going to come next. But thanks for being with us today, and a better peace, Tom. Much appreciated. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Please uh, send us your comments on this program and all of our programs. Please subscribe to A Better Peace if you have not subscribed already. And of course, you should subscribe to A Better Peace because you wouldn't want to miss out on any of these conversations. And after you have subscribed to A Better Peace on your podcatcher of choice, please rate and review this podcast because that's how more people can find out about us so that we can continue to grow this community for conversations like this one. This conversation is over, but we look forward to welcoming you to future conversations. So until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Granary. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.com dot armywarcollege.edu and have a great day.